0: So in ministry past, I've, I've done many Q&As, and one of the things I've started to really start off with is scripture. It seems like a good place to start. Um, but also one of the reasons to share is that there are some areas when, when we get up and we do a Q&A, we're sharing our conviction. We're sharing our our walk with you, our marriage with you. But it's really healthy to start by saying, we're going to share the word of God with you, which is not our opinion, it's not our preference, and sometimes it's not our choice, but what we choose to submit to. So what I really want to start off with and share with you before we get into these questions is Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 7. And it says this, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So, what I just want to clarify for you is, we're gonna we're just gonna share scriptural answers, and we're also gonna share uh, our own convictions. Some things that Shauna and I have learned along the way, but it's really important that to answer these questions, we do so from a biblical point of view. So just so you know that, um, and as you hear that, I'll really do my best to clarify. We'll both do our best to clarify. This is, this is my uh, approach, or this is my conviction, or here's what the Word of God says so you know clearly, um, and follow along so you don't think we're just making it up, okay? So, are you ready? ready. Are you sure? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So the first question was, how do you work through a disagreement and keep it Christ-centered? How do you work through a disagreement and keep it Christ-centered? And I know it seems evil to ask a question off of a question, but I think as you look at those disagreements, one of the things you need to do is ask what this, this disagreement is based on. So, so that really determines what the level of, of concern and the level of discernment is. Because if it's just on opinion, then most of the time you're both wrong anyways. Um, if it has to do with personality, you just get into more of the relational conflict stuff. But really then when you get into like a theology and, and, and doctrine kind of uh, disagreement, that is where things get a little bit more serious. And I think one thing that Shauna and I have, I mean, this is not my creative verbiage. This is Shauna's. From the moment we started dating, she kept using the word filter. What's your filter? And so I have started to utilize that so much. And I think when it comes to a disagreement, you have to ask yourself, what's your filter? And what I mean by that is that your filter are are those things that you see everything through. So, for example, when it comes to a disagreement or a conflict or an argument... Part of the thing that's really important to know is if mom and dad argued and there was division and yelling and at the end you feared more that mom and dad were gonna get divorced, then more often than not, you're bringing that filter of how a disagreement works into that new disagreement. So I think we really need to ask ourselves, what am I filtering that through, that disagreement? What am I filtering that through? Because probably if that's the way mom and dad Uh, viewed and and went about disagreements, that's probably how you're going to go through disagreements. And I think another thing too is if you yourself are not Christ-centered, so the question is, how do you keep it Christ-centered? If you yourself are not Christ-centered, it's going to be really hard for you, if not completely impossible for you, to enter into any disagreement in a Christ-centered way. It's going to be really hard for you and near impossible. So one of the things, scripturally, what's clear about when we look at disagreements and and anger and frustration is in Ephesians 5. Paul says in the 25th verse, 25 through 27, he says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, hear this clearly, in your anger, do not sin. It doesn't say anger is sin. In your anger, do not sin. And do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Now here's, let me just say this, because when we take scripture out of context, it's a big pet peeve of mine. A lot of people, when you're in a disagreement, will kind of say to you, Oh, hey, we need to, we need to continue this disagreement. And don't, walk, don't, don't table this disagreement, because if you're doing that, you're letting the sun go down on your anger. Paul's not saying that right there. He's saying, you need to bring it before God. You need to bring it before God. That disagreement, that anger, that frustration you have, don't go to bed until you've resolved it with God. And and, and even potentially that day, resolve it with that person. David says in Psalms, he says, I lie awake, concerned of, of my anger that I would bring it before the Lord. He really approached it. So even Paul is saying, listen, really consider your disagreement. But sometimes you can just banter and bicker back and forth, and you can go all night and not sleep, and things can still be bad, okay? So I think sometimes we, there is a health in, in taking a moment to go, okay, let's, let's table this. I need to go to God with this. And I think that's a big way to keep it Christ-centered. I think, too, Paul points out all through Ephesians in chapter 4, chapter 4, he talks about how when Christ entered the believer's life, life was different. Life became different. He reminds us that. He says, listen, throw off that falsehood. Stop acting, as he, told the, as he told the Corinthians, stop acting merely human. Just stop acting that way. And what he says in verse 20 of chapter 4 is, that's not the way you learned Christ. Remember, that, that, that old way of living, that's, that's not the way you learned Christ. You're called into new life. And so remember in those disagreements to make to see them Christ-centered, to approach them Christ-centered, the greatest thing you can do is humble yourself and model the gospel. Not share it. Listen, I think you need some gospel message here. <laughs> model it to them. Okay? I think that's really important. So I think that's a, a big one of keeping it Christ-centered. And then Shauna, you had something. I think
1: another aspect of of being able to communicate that you're humbling yourself and and modeling the gospel is when you are approaching a disagreement, listen to hear and understand that person. Don't listen to them merely to respond so that you can prove that you're right. And David mentioned earlier that one of his biggest pet peeves is um, taking scripture out of context. This is my, f- my favorite disagreement we've ever had. I think it's so much fun, honestly, to disagree with David. And it was on sounds- the
0: way for me to preach at another church. So we're having this big <laughs> disagreement
1: on how many children we're going to have. I'm pregnant with Micah at this point, and I'm like, well, David, Scripture says that, that blessed is the man who has a quiverful. That's found in Psalm 127. And, you know, a quiverful is, is 12 arrows that you would put in, in your, you know, quiver. That's what that's, that's referring to. And that just, like, riled David. He's like, you are wrong. And I'm going to you're wrong. And I'm like, that's that's fine. Like, I can be wrong, but tell me why. And I, I approached it in a way to understand and hear what he was saying rather than just being like, no, you're wrong. How dare you say I'm wrong? So I think that's really important to, to listen, to hear and understand the person that you're in a disagreement with, not to just respond.
0: Hmm. Hear and understand, not just to respond. So the second question um, that someone had asked is, Is there redemption in Christ for sexual impurity? Let me just say this really quick to those of you who have walked through that. Yes. Yes, there is redemption. And all of that sin that you have struggled with, that you've carried, can be forgiven. I think a couple things that I really want you to know. The blood of Christ that we see from the cross is too great far too great to be defeated by your sin. Far greater than your sin. Jesus paid a great price on the cross. And in fact, he shed his blood and he gave his life so you could have new life. And so whatever you're walking through, I think what's really, what I'm starting to understand here too is that there's a difference between, I said there's a difference between guilt and conviction. I think I wanna go a little bit further in what I'm learning about identity in Christ is that there's a difference between shame and conviction. And so for some of you, whether you've walked through struggling with sexual immorality, sexual impurity, for you, maybe there's, there's a level of conviction, which I think conviction draws us closer to God. Shame doesn't. It's this self-fulfilling cycle that just says, I'm bad, I'm wrong. And all of a sudden, we internalize this, and it's not even something we bring God into. And so I think it's really important for us to understand conviction leads us to confession and confession leads us to repentance. So this literally means for the sake of redemption and sexual impurity, that means that you're stopping what you're doing. So repentance is a heart to change what you're doing. Scripture is really clear on sexual impurity. So in 1 Corinthians 6.18, Paul says, flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Colossians 3 5, Paul again says, Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry, because you're seeking that above your Creator. And in 1 Thessalonians 4, 2 and 2 through 5 it says. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. And so in all this, Paul really describes that that those pursuing sexual immorality are outside God. They're outside of relationship with God. And that word immorality, just so we really understand that clearly this morning, church, the Greek word for immorality is pornia. So the word means illicit sexual intercourse, fornication, homosexuality, lesbianism, bestiality, and goes further into those. And so as that Greek word, which means immorality, is clear, that's actually where we get our English word pornography. That is what we've driven it from. And so that that Greek word is translated for us. We've then taken it into English, made it into our own word pornography. And so you can see there the issue, God really desiring us to be holy as he is holy, for us to be set apart. Because all of these things are things that separate us from God. And so here's, here's what I really want to clarify for you. If you are in sexual sin right now, if you're active in that, of what immorality includes, you need, you need to stop. A follower of Jesus needs to stop. I think you need to confess it, bring it before God. I think you need to break off tempting relationships and situations. Don't put yourself in another place. I think that's the hard thing when couples engage in sexual intercourse. Then they go, okay, we're not going to do that, but let's do Bible study together in your room with the door closed. Okay, that's, that's bad. That's, that's not what you need to do. You need to really remove temptation in any way that you can and seek Jesus. Take all that time, take all that energy and seek Jesus. And so then if you fall again, remember this, go to the cross again. If you fall again, go to the cross again. Never give up going to Jesus and receiving that forgiveness. And here's what I think is really important. What what I was praying, as I was praying this morning, I was sharing this analogy with Shauna. That sin is kind of like an amusement park. And for whatever reason, every time we go in, we, we buy this ticket hoping for this great reaction, this great response, this great activity. And then we get in, and, and the park is shut down, and it's empty. And we're just kind of going like, man, why did I do that? Why did I, why did I spend on that? Why did I, why did I do that? And, and here's why it feels empty to you. Because when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't buy you an all-day pass to the park. He shut it down. He bought you. He didn't buy you a ticket. So when the scripture says you were bought with a price, it means Jesus came, paid the price so that you could be in relationship with God. So that instead you wouldn't keep buying a pass to the park of sin because it just feels empty. You know this, we all know this about sin. So I think what we really need to understand is, is never doubt what's been done on the cross. Remember that this morning. You are never outside the reach of God's love. God loves you with all of his heart. He loves you. He's, he knows your struggle. Scripture's clear on this. So then after you see and, and you move out from that sexual immorality and after you've repented, I think another thing that's important for you to remember, those of you that have come out of that and seeking redemption in your sexual morality, I think it's really important for you to find someone who you can be accountable to. Find someone who you can be accountable to. The church doesn't make sense if we're not in relationship together. So I think what's really important there is find someone who you can be honest with, who's honest with you, Someone who's trustworthy and who's going to pray with you regularly, walking in authentic discipleship with you. So someone who's going to ask the hard questions and say the hard things. Why So asking you, so guys, someone who's really going to ask you, when's the last time you looked at porn? When's the last time you touched yourself? When's the last time that you approached these issues? When's the last time you gave away more of your stuff to be more focused on the more important relationship, which is Jesus? So someone who you can be accountable with and ask the hard questions. Do you have anything you want to add to that? (laughs) So, okay. So the next one. How does a young woman of God allow someone to pursue her? Shauna's going to start with this one (laughs) because I'm not a woman and I don't know.
1: I don't have scripture reference for this one, but I think one of the first ways to to allow someone to pursue you is let, I mean, from a, yeah, it's asking a young woman. So let a man be a man. What I mean by that, and I have an example, is um, about four years ago, I was in youth ministry. And every night after youth ministry, we'd kind of debrief it at Applebee's afterward. And I was freezing really, really cold. And David, I had no idea that he was even interested in me. There was no pursuit that I knew of. But I was freezing, and he was wearing a jacket. I didn't plan well, didn't have a jacket. So he saw that and asked me, would you like my coat? The first response that I had was, no, I've got this. I'm good. No, that's, that's awkward. That's uncomfortable. That's vulnerable. Nope, I'm good. But he was being a gentleman. And I did not want to squash that in him because he was, I mean, equally, he was, he was kind of pouring himself out. And so I was like, okay, sure, I'll take your jacket. And then we enjoyed the rest of the evening me being very comfortable and very warm. so I think <laughs> the first thing is is to let a man be a man. The second is I think there is a way um, for us ladies to position ourselves in front of a guy in a way that communicates, "I'm here, but I'm not going to chase you." I think that's really, really important because us girls get impatient. <laughs> We just so badly want to be in relationship, and, and guys are kind of slow sometimes. And I'm not saying that in a way that's saying that they're stupid. I'm just saying that they're battling their own insecurities, and they have a lot more to risk, right? Because we're, we rely on them to, to be the pursuer, and they're not pursuing. So we're like, all right, well, I guess I will just step in that role. I'd encourage you not to. Position yourself in a way in front of him that's, that communicates I'm here if you'd pursue me, but I'm not going to do the work. Yeah. That's on you.
0: Yeah. So one of the, one of the scriptural references that, that uh, we see this in is in the Old Testament, in the story of Ruth. And in the story of Ruth, one of the greatest stories, uh, and it's a short read, if you ever go and read the book of Ruth. In the third chapter, the first 14 verses is basically Ruth's mother-in-law saying, you need to go position yourself in front of this man because he's a good man. You should be in a relationship, but he is not getting it. So then, so then what Ruth does is quite literally position herself in front of Boaz. But here's the, here's the kicker then, guys. Boaz did the work. Boaz did the work. I think that's really important. What Sean and I really talked about last night as we were talking through some of this is as you look at that, positioning yourself in front of a man, that doesn't mean giving yourself away fully to him. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, that doesn't mean that. So be really, just really understand. I mean, when Shauna and I, uh, I mean, first from giving her my jacket and then uh, spending time with her, getting a chance to go out to lunch with her one-on-one, she asked a lot of questions. And just continually with her actions, she didn't literally just say, hey, just so you know, I'm in front of you. <laughs> um, she didn't do that. But with her actions, she was intentional. Uh, but she really made me work for it, just so you know that. Um, <laughs> So, good, smart woman. Um, A couple other things, again, that that we kind of talked through is I think it's important, young gals, for you to allow someone to pursue you. Don't play games in it. Don't play games. (laughs) Uh, Be intentional and make it clear. Make it really clear. And I just wrote down three things. Be in prayer. I prayed a lot, and, and I know Shauna prayed a lot. In fact, when, when it was ever so clear that, that we would have an opportunity to pursue a relationship, then we went away for like 30 hours, uh, to, about 24 plus. We, we got together that next evening after praying and feeling that God had answered, yeah, pursue this relationship. And every step along the way, I was praying. Prayed when to kiss her. Prayed when to get engaged to her. Um, all of these things. I think, guys, those things are important. You want to make this a Christ-centered relationship? Bring Christ into it and seek him in it. I think that's really important. So be in prayer. Um, be honest with, with the guy, with yourself. Allow others to be with you in it. Allow others to be honest with you. If he's that guy that you have to explain at the party, that's, that's a red flag, at least a yellow. Okay. So be honest about those things. And then, then three, be realistic. Don't move real fast, be realistic. Ask, ask what his intentions are. I shared this with you when we talked about dating. It's a really good question. If it freaks him out, awesome. Awesome. <laughs> your dad will love that. Absolutely. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> so ask what his intentions are and, and really ask yourself, what are my intentions? You know, you, you hear the infamous list that women create. And if you do you're going, Well, I don't have a written list. Yes, you do. It's in your head. We all know that. And guys, you do it too. So be really be realistic. What is that? And ladies, don't forget that although it's the guy's role to pursue, there's nothing wrong with you positioning yourself in front of him and saying, I'm here, pursue me. For you clarifying that in a godly, biblical way, there's nothing wrong with doing that. Because I think if Shauna hadn't in really clear ways, I'd still be single. So just just to clarify that for you. So I think that's Really good to remember most of all, what you pursue first as a single person should always be Jesus, should always be Jesus. And 2 Timothy chapter two, verse 22 says, so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So pursue Jesus in this, that's important. The next question was: What is the balance between having slash keeping a sound mind yet still enjoying the season of a new relationship? So in the very first part of our series that we talked about, I talked about the difference between guarding your heart and having a sound mind, and that we have all these people walking around saying, I need to guard my heart, and they're really not guarding their heart, and kind of taking that verse out of context where Solomon tells his husband, to seek wisdom and guard his heart and seek wisdom but really what we need to do in these relationships and approach to dating in the opposite sex is to have a sound mind and i use the verse in first peter chapter 5 verse 8 it says be sober-minded be watchful your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion lion seeking someone to devour and so I think the problem with dating, what we talked about, is, is that we're always in the market of asking the question, will this work? I mean, you're always asking that question whether you're intentional or not, and, and it's kind of based on that contract relationship. You know, what, what, what can I get out of it? What can they get out of it? How is this going to work? And I believe it's really important to be sober-minded and to guard your minds because from it really flows the intentions and actions. And it really comes down to an alignment issue when we're focused on guarding and fulfilling the desires of our hearts, then we miss the whole idea where Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, glorify God in our bodies. Glorify God. It's so bringing the glory to God. And so I just want to clarify that that sober-minded piece, but I think Shauna has some really good stuff too um, on this piece.
1: Of course, they come from an aspect of of a woman's perspective. I think this is another area where you ladies get to... um, Get to encourage the guys to do the work of pursuing you. Your heart is worth fighting for. Your, your heart is worth working for. Don't just give it away to him as soon as you say, you know, you have that DTR defining the relationship moment. You're worth working for. Um, and I think part of that is in keeping a sound mind while enjoying the season of a new relationship, don't plan the wedding as soon as you start dating, <laughs> I know that it's it's that it feels like it's the promise, the promised land, right? You're in this relationship with this awesome godly man, and you're like, oh sweet Jesus, I've arrived. I get to plan the wedding. I'm gonna be married. Don't be in the moment that you're in. Enjoy each stage of relationship because that that time, if that's in God's plan, will come. But it's not going to come before His time. So why fret and worry? about, about planning the wedding when he hasn't even asked the question. (laughs) So I think, I think that, and I think, um, let him ask the question before you give answers, especially in the wedding planning. Um, and then to reiterate again, don't play games with him. His heart is equally as important as yours is. I think, um, being clear, there's, there's nothing wrong. You're, you're part of the relationship too. Um, If there's ever a part where where you're kind of in your mind playing a mind movie and it's driving you nuts and this is like keeping you from everything but a sound mind, ask him questions. If you don't know where the relationship is going, you're in the relationship. Ask him where it's going, where he sees it going. Don't just sit there and go, oh, well, I'm a girl. I can't ask that because that's a point of of pursuing. No, that's not. That's a point of clarification. And Hmm. both of you have equal right to clarification in the relationship. Um, yeah, I think that sums it up. That's good. That's good.
0: So the next question is uh, from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1 through 7. In the context of marriage, is it safe to say sex should not be used as leverage? Um, so let's, let's read uh, the first, I'm going to read the first five verses of 1 Corinthians 7. So says, now concerning the, marriage, the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. Amen. For the wife, did you not catch that? That's, that's really good. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourself to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So really the answer is right from scripture, no, sex should not be used in this way. Not at all. In verse 5, it says, Do not deprive one another except perhaps by the word agreement. So, ladies, no more saying if you take the trash out, we'll have sex, okay? Okay, because well, let's be honest. It's not always the case, but gals are going to leverage us more than guys because um, we're the ones in more hopes of it. Um, It's just the reality of the way God's created us. So here's why this is also wrong, I think. What's a really important clarification, because you are called into a marriage covenant, not a marriage contract. We really talked about that. You're called into a marriage covenant, not a marriage contract. In a a contract marriage, you exchange something you have for something the other has. Does that sound like leverage to you? Sounds like leverage to me. So that's a contract relationship. But what, what Paul makes it clear in Ephesians 5 and, and God makes it clear all throughout Scripture is that in a covenant marriage, you give freely all you have and regardless of what the other party gives. So there's no system of like, I, I can do better. You can do better. Here's what we do. And, and back and forth, it's a covenant. It's, it's freely given. It's grace. So I think that's really important. I think there's times where, too, there's, there's a lot of miscommunication on this subject. And I think there's some abuse around it, too. Um, not just for the leveraging sake, but because we don't like talking about it. I mean, some of you are uncomfortable just by the fact that I keep using the word sex. But I think we really need to be honest about this. And so here's what I would say to you married couples, you dating couples, don't you dare do this. But married couples, talk about sex. For Pete's sake, discuss sex, be honest about sex be real about sex, I mean as, as ridiculous as this may sound for us guys, I think there's so much more to it that is that is visual for, for gals, there's so much more that's relational to it and so with that, I mean when we got into marriage um, and we would have sex, right, I mean after Shauna would want to talk and I'd be like oh uh, no, it's good yeah, I don't want to talk about this. And, and later we realized that we need to, we need to be open about this because this is literally a gift from God. We need to approach it that way. We need to have conversations. I think even the, not, not just the activity of it, but the struggle in it. I mean, Shauna and I have had detailed talks about my own struggles or struggles that guys have in general. And, and for Shauna, she's going, I didn't know that. I didn't understand that because you're not wired that way. And that's why I think we need, we need clear communication around this. Neither one of us can read minds. And so wh- whether it comes to your struggles, your differences, I think we, you really need to be honest about this area. You need to talk with one another. It's really important. And because sex is a gift from God, it's given to the married man and woman together. So share equally and give freely. Don't approach it as like, hey, you can't withhold it. You can't withhold it. Let's, let's do it right now. I think equally you have to understand. You need to understand that this is, this is what Paul is saying for the church in Corinth who keeps getting all these things wrong. He's really saying to them, remember, you are not your own. You're, you're, you're in a marriage covenant under the headship of God under the headship of God. So together, submit to God. That means submitting all your struggles, all your, all your desires, and together being honest about those. So I think that's really important. Did you want to add I just wanted
1: to reiterate that sex is, is a gift from God that's given. It's, from what I read in Scripture, it's the only thing that is set apart for just a husband and wife to enjoy freely together. And it's not, it's not a gift that God gives more to one Partner in the marriage than he does the other, so I don't think that. I mean, it is usually women that like to say, "Hey, you want to clean out the gutter, and then we'll we'll get busy." Um, how I see that is, it's not that God gave me more of that gift to then go, "Hey, David, do you want to do you want to open this gift that I have and and kind of play with it?" But only when I want to bring it out. It's both of our gift equally together, not not one over the other. So.
0: And we actually had a conversation um, on a date night where I felt like it was being leveraged. I was honest with Shauna. I mean, you want to talk about honesty. I was like, I feel like this is something I'm failing to earn. Like, I don't know where the star chart is on my chores. And, and, but if you could just tell me, I'd go fill all the stars in so we can do this. But we were really honest. And, and you know, that was... That was so neat, because here 's the other thing too for for some of you gals that 's not your heart, but you don 't feel like you're you're being communicated worth, and so I think guys we got to understand that you know like the the you know like the the beginning of sex. For a woman, they always say, you know, is from from morning till night. And I'm sorry to say that doesn't mean she wants to have sex that whole time. That means that for her, from the point of waking up to the point of going to bed where you both disrobe and you see each other in all each other's glory is, is really a building of relationship. For guys, it's so much more physical for us. We have all these other things and then we're putting our mind there. So I think really understand when you look at this as pertaining to a gift from God, we really gotta put in time. We really gotta be honest. I mean, Shauna and I were really honest about that. Um, and that was a really healthy conversation. That was really neat because I didn't understand that for Shauna, it wasn't she was leveraging. She didn't feel acknowledged in other stuff. She didn't feel like I was valuing what she was doing. And so that, all of that seemed like distasteful work. And going, yeah, okay, I, I understand. We got to walk deeper into relationship together. So I think we got to be honest about it. We really got to talk about that. So the last question, um, I think this is a really good one to end on for us, uh, for all of us together. The last question is, the church seems to have groups for newly marrieds and singles, but not for married couples who are going through empty nest, health issues, etc. Some challenges of mature couples need the support of a group. Um, Whoever wrote this, just so you know, that's not a question. Um, But good point. Really good point. Um, You're right. You really need that support. You do. I think that's really important. Um, I know that for Shauna and I, um, our heart and our vision for the rest of this year um, is to really focus on the marriages in our church. Um, to walk through relationship with those of you that are married, um, and and young and old, and and I think that's really important. You know, we have some uh, really awesome single and dating young adults who have who have really launched some groups in our church, um, so that they can begin to invest in one another, and that allows Shauna and I to invest in marriages. And, and so this fall even, um, I mean, you want to talk about how serious we are. We're launching a small group for married couples um, on using the material love and respect. Um, I mean, we're starting September 17th at 630 at our house. So you, you want a group, that's, that's a great group where we're going to walk through that stuff together. But I think sometimes, especially in Western culture, we kind of have a hijacked view of groups, Um, I think what we desire is relationships. But whether you are young, mature, or even empty nesters, um, wherever you are in that, remember that we all need each other. We all need each other. Nowhere in Scripture are you going to read where the people in their 50s said, "Mm, I don't want to be the X2 church because all I have is people in their 20s and 30s. They all need each other. That's why I think it's really important. You know, this morning as Sean and I get up, we're just being uh, obedient to the word. We're, we're just being servants of this. We don't know everything. You know, and next week we celebrate our third year anniversary. That's awesome. We're excited about that. But that's three years. Some of you have a lot more years on us. We have some neat things to learn from you. Yeah. And, and I think that's really important. So to understand we need each other, and that is incredibly scriptural. And so when Paul wrote the letter to Titus, a church leader, and he said, here's what's important to know about how the church needs some real clarity on how to be structured. Here's what he said in in his second chapter. He said, verse 2 through 5, he says, Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderous or slaves to too much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women, here's the relational piece, to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. And so older, older gals be in relationship with younger gals. Older guys be in relationship with younger guys. And I, I think we need, a, we need each other. We need each other. And I think, too, when we walk through those relationships, sometimes in, in church, we think of church in the context of Sunday morning and my midweek group. But I think when you see another couple in the church, in that, in that fellowship, if you see another couple cook them a meal. Ask them about their marriage. Ask them about their relationship. There's some neat people in this church. There are some neat relationships in this church. Shauna and I, uh, I don't know how many weeks ago it was, we went and had dinner with Frank and Patty, and we laughed so much, and they barely talked about the church, and it was awesome. Um, (laughs) But we just got to sit with them, Thank you, Patty. So and and the food was good and and we just got to talk about life. I think and we're way younger than they are. So God bless (laughs) them for that. I that sounded worse than I meant it, but (laughs) what I really meant was was our fellowship wasn't based on age. It wasn't. It was based on unity in Christ. So try to stick with me here for a moment. So remember this as we, as we close, I think sometimes we, we get too segregated. I think there's way of which, of which we can leverage the gospel in and, its clarity to certain generations, but don't get too segregated. Cause I think our tendency, and I know this because I'm a young pastor and we've had a lot of young people stepping into our church, older people, we need you, but I think you need to understand that that doesn't mean I'm always going to preach at your level. That, that, that means you really need to step into intentional relationship. And that doesn't mean with everyone. I think sometimes we feel like because we're believers, we all have to be in deep relationship. I'm not close with everyone. I have a few close guys, and, and that's it. I'm not going to be buddy-buddy with everybody. And I think we really need to understand that, to walk through relationship intentionally with one another. So walk through those relationships. Don't just look for the physical fit. Pray for the spiritual fit. Man, who can we walk through relationship with? And remember that what you're walking through, whatever you are walking through right now, it's a great opportunity to model to these young married couples. How you handle conflict, how you handle your finances, how you handle the conversation of sex, how you raise your kids. Because there's more bad ways out there than good ways. I know, we've Googled it already. <laughs> so, so really consider where you're at. Really consider the opportunity you have to model being the church, okay? Let's pray.